A story you can find, yeah, in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel. If you're on your phones, you can go to uh, the Bridge app, and you've got the Bible, and then you can choose which version you would like. Um, I'm hoping many of you have your own Bible, so you can underline and make notes in that as well. Uh, but I invite you to turn now to, uh, to the Scripture. So this is how John tells this story and begins it. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover... Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins from the, of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a market! His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered him, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. The word of the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship. For you are worthy. And Lord, we pray that our time of worship is pleasing to you. And Lord, may it be a time, this time of prayer and, and singing praise and, and reflecting on your word. Lord, may it shape us and form us more and more into to people who worship you first and only. And Lord, I pray that the words which will be spoken next Lord, may they be your words and not mine. Pray this in the name of Jesus, Lord, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This morning we're focusing on one of the more shocking stories of Jesus' life. At least it's shocking for me. It's a time where he makes a whip in the temple courts and drives out cattle and sheep that were being sold in the temple, along with the money changers who were exchanging people's Roman coins for special Jewish temple coins so that they could pay the temple tax. Now, they didn't use the Roman coins because it had an image of Caesar on there, and they wanted nothing to do with Caesar's image in the temple of the Lord. Because there's only one Lord and it's not Caesar. Jesus forces us to think in this story about what worship really is and about who should be the true focus of our worship. And a hint, it's not about us, it's not about our wants. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. Now, Imagine being there, the, the, the chaos, the, the, the noise, the, the, 
busyness of the business that's being done in the temple. And it's being done in a specific area. So heads up, treasure seekers. This is an area where, where the women and the Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish, the area that they, would, that they were given to worship in. See, the temple was split up into different sections. Now, at the very front of the, the temple, you had the Holy of Holies. So that, that was a place that, that's only God's place. Once a year, one of the priests could go, on, could, could go in there. But it was so holy that if the priest wasn't worthy, they actually tied a, a rope to his leg so that if he was struck down by God in the Holy of Holies, they could pull him up. So that's where it started. And then in front of the Holy of Holies, you had the area where all the sacrifices were done. And you had a, a, a pit, where a, a love where that was filled with water. And there was a place to sacrifice the animals. And, and there was all kinds of lights and candles and incense. And this was a place where only the priests could be. And then right in front of that area was the place where the Jewish men could be. See, you guys are all mixed up, men and women. And the Jewish people would go, hey, wait a minute, that's not right. You got to separate the men from the women. And I'm not going to go into any jokes about that. Because Joyce would get angry at me. But that's how they thought. That men were closer to God than women and Gentiles. And then in the back, way in the back, that was where the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people and the women could worship. And it's in that area that the sheep and the cattle and the doves and the money changers and all those people are, are doing their business. Now, Josephus, who's a, a, a historian, he writes that one Passover, 250,000 Cattle and sheep. 250,000 cattle and sheep in one week were sacrificed. And they were all in that back area. And Passover, that is a time when there's a whole ton of people who come to the temple. So the money changers are busy and there was, they, would, they would have different tables because... You know what? If you want a good rate, you go to this one. If you just want to go a shorter line, then you go to that one. But, but there's shouting and there's talking and there's business being conducted. And, and this is where the Gentiles and the women are expected to come close to God. To pray and to worship God. In the middle of all the chaos. Because they weren't worthy enough. It seems as if everybody had forgotten what the temple was all about. That was a place to meet God and to, to worship Him through offerings and prayer and sacrifice. But it seems like it had turned into a business. Alicia Mayers writes. In verse 16, Jesus calls the temple an emporium or a marketplace. Rather than a scene of spiritual preparation, 
Jesus instead sees a place focused on monetary exchange. Like Old Testament prophets, he challenges the temple economy, questioning whether it was focused more on wealth than prayer. What are we really focused on when we show up here on a Sunday morning? Is our worship more about what we want to get out of worship than on prayer and helping others to encounter Jesus? See, Satan is always working behind the scenes in our hearts. Satan is always trying to to get the focus off of God, off of Jesus, and onto ourselves. The saddest thing is we so often listen to those whispers. We so often say, I want to experience this in worship. But then the worship becomes about me rather than about thee. How often does it cross our minds on how somebody seeking God, seeking, trying to figure out who Jesus is, how they would experience our times of worship on a Sunday morning? Is this something foreign and crazy to them? Is it filled with with words that they don't understand and can't get? Is it focused on the comfort of the regular people who are attending? Or is it focused on drawing everybody closer to God? Helping everyone whether you're a regular member here or someone new, to meet Jesus through our worship. It's important to make Bethel a place where everyone can walk in these doors and encounter Jesus. They can see how the worship of Jesus shapes who we are into grace-filled followers of Jesus who care about leading all people, all nations to Jesus, to a place where they can praise him with us. Worship is central to who we are. That's why we looked at Romans 12, those first verses where, where our everyday life is supposed to be an offer of worship to God. Worship is central to who we are, but it's always God-focused, always about pleasing God and bringing honor to God than about pleasing ourselves. It's about being a time of praise and helping others to praise Jesus with us. Imagine being there at that temple that day. You just come down from the north where, where, where Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding changing water into wine. Why do you think he did that as his very first miracle? Any thoughts? there's still something I'm trying to sometimes wrap my head around why that would be his first miracle 
And then why this story comes right after it. Well, as I was reflecting on it, and I may be right, I may, may be a little sideways on it, but, but I look at that first miracle. And it's about helping a bride and a groom who had run out of wine at their wedding. And it was a shameful thing. It was an embarrassing thing to run out of wine for all their guests. It shows that either they were very poor or that they just hadn't thought through the whole wedding well enough. And it reflected on their hospitality. And Jesus changes water into wine so that the groom can go to his guests as the host, filled with the gift of hospitality. And now Jesus is in the temple. He walks into a place that is supposed to be filled with hospitality. And it's not. It's only for the inner people. It's not for those who are on the fringes or on the outside. It's not hospitable. And then you stand there with Jesus and you see him get angrier and angrier as he watches what's going on around him in the temple. And you see him pick up cords and start to make a whip and you start wondering, what's he going to do? This isn't the Jesus I know. And he turns toward the animals. He drives them out of the, the temple and then he goes to the, the money changers and he, and he sweeps the, the, the coins off the table and he overturns them and he says, how dare you? How dare you turn this place into a marketplace? This is supposed to be a place of worship and prayer. This is a place for for God, not for you. He says, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. There's a fierce and a holy passion in Jesus. Matthew tells of Jesus coming into the temple on Palm Sunday, near the end of his ministry. So it's like Jesus has done this a number of times because people don't learn. And he drives out all those who are buying and selling and he overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer you've made it into a den of robbers. So easy to turn worship shallow with no depth of just going through the rituals and emotions. But Jesus has a passion. Passion for God and worship. The disciples' eyes are opened as they remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 69. For zeal for your house consumes me. For Jesus' faith and his relationship with God is a, a passionate, consuming fire inside of him. And you know what? People are uncomfortable around those who have such a passion for God about Jesus because passion demands a whole lot from us when you're passionate you just can't stand there to the side you have to jump into whatever it is you're passionate about
compassion leads us to sacrifice. We're so used to thinking of ourselves first, even in worship. Someone with a passionate willingness to, to sacrifice and put the needs of others first, to, to, to put the needs of those who are not in the inner group and say, you need to, to come close and I need to help you come close to God and I need to make it possible no matter the cost to me because I want you to know who God is. I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to join me in being a disciple of Jesus. But that kind of passion can make other followers of God uncomfortable. But when this passion shapes our worship, when it's all about God, it's all about Jesus, when it's listening to the stirring of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, you know, it draws us close to God. But it can make other people so uncomfortable. Being a youth pastor in Michigan at about the time when the Jesus freaks were really strong in the Chicago area. I heard lots of people in in our church that we were at mock them because they were different. We had one of the elders go to one of their services in Chicago and say, I don't even know how they, how they worship there. It's, it's all loud music and, and then it's, it's, it's praying out loud and everybody at the same time as Mark and Selena were talking about and it's all focused on Jesus and and prayer, and they would get down on their knees in the middle of the service, and they'd start praying. And they were so passionate. You walk into there, and you're not quite sure. It's like a wave that comes out to you. He says, it scared me. But it also drew me in. Because I want to know Jesus that way. When you encounter someone who is so focused as Jesus is on worshiping God only, it can be scary because it calls for a lot out of us. And it makes Jesus a target for his enemies. We see some of that already starting up. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Basically, you're saying, how dare you? How dare you come in and tell us how to do stuff? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered with, I consider a really unexpected response. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Okay, we look back on it and we see, yes, Jesus is pointing to his death and resurrection, to to how the temple is centered in him, how God's glory is centered into him. Now God's glory is going to be revealed and and just explode into the world through Jesus' death and resurrection. But but these are are people who don't see Jesus yet as the Messiah. Even his own disciples are still trying to figure out who he is. 
So, so they're saying, hey, wait a minute. It took Herod 46 years to build this place. Who do you think you are? Some kind of smart aleck or what? Just who do you think you are? Because they don't get it. But don't get so hard on them because if we would have been there, we probably wouldn't have got it anyway. I'm guaranteeing we wouldn't have got it. Because Jesus is speaking in parable-like language here. But he is pointing to who he is and to what he's come to do. Jesus comes into our fallen world as the true temple that links heaven and earth. A temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days, just as he said in his body. And that's the good news of the gospel. We who believe in Jesus as a son of God are the body of Christ on earth. And we are called to make disciples of Jesus, creating relationships and and spaces where they can meet Jesus and learn to worship in spirit and truth as, as Jesus later on tells a Samaritan woman. The Jews who are confronting Jesus, they remember what Jesus says here because it becomes a major part of their case against him when he goes against the Sanhedrin. They try like crazy to to, to get some kind of charges and the only charge that sticks is what he says here. Destroy the temple in three days I'll rebuild it. Blasphemy, destroying the temple. And that's the charge they get him on. While on the cross, Jesus goes on and quotes Psalm 69. Remember Psalm 69 in verse 9, for zeal of your house consumes me. But the psalm goes on. And on the cross, Jesus quotes from later on in the psalm, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. For all those who were Jews... All those at the cross and those reading John's account of Jesus' passion for God and his house as a place of worship, they're invited to remember Jesus' actions and words here in the temple. To remind us of what the temple is. A place where we can come close to God. Remember who we are as children of God who need to connect with God regularly. Jesus' disruption of the worship services at the temple is God's critique of how far they had drifted away from him again. Worship centers us on Jesus on what he's done for us through his life, through his teaching, through his death, on the cross for our sins and through his resurrection. Worship is not about us and what we want to experience, but about coming in humility with passion before God and offering him ourselves. As Paul reminds us in 12, Romans 12:1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Matt Redman, 
he wrote the song, The Heart of Worship, to remind us of what worship really is all about. See, in his church, they had gotten distracted by all kinds of things. He sat down with the pastor there, and they said, we've got to get back to the heart of worship. He went and wrote this song. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. King of endless worth, no one can express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath. Worship is about coming to Jesus with a spirit of reverence, wonder, and a sense of mystery about who Jesus is that brings us to our knees in humble gratitude for calling us to be his children while calling us to share the good news of Jesus with the world and to guide them and lead them with us into giving our very lives as an act of worship to God. Amen. Father, thank you.